Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Ever snore so loud it registered as an earthquake or you woke up with a throat as dry as the Sahara Desert and a headache that could stop a locomotive? Well, I've had all of these because I have sleep apnea. Hi, I'm Scott Mitchell. Yep, I wear a machine plugged into a wall attached to a hose every night. Sound Sleep Medical changed all of this for me, and they can do that for you. They specialize in providing oral appliance therapy for individuals suffering from sleep disorders. In many cases, oral appliances have proven to be as effective as CPAP machines in treating sleep apnea. The lack of sleep is a serious health risk and has been linked to heart disease, stroke, diabetes, and even depression. The oral appliance I got from Sound Sleep Medical has freed me from a hose. I can go anywhere, and I've never slept better. Call Sound Sleep Medical today. Seriously, for a limited time, the first 25 people that call get a free consultation worth 200 bucks. Call 801-783-5451. It's 801-783-5451. Hello, I'm Jim Bennett. I'm Abby Bennett. And this is Dinner Table Politics, and I want to do some housekeeping from last week. And you know what we talked about last week. Can you refresh everybody's memories? Space. The final frontier. Yeah, that would be funny if we hadn't just done that, but the camera was on mute. The camera was on mute? The microphone. The it's microphone. been a long day. Okay? It, it's been a long day. I say day. that every day, but it's been a long day. All right, well... Uh, it's been interesting because the two people that we shouted out to, Lee Polson and Maureen Lovejoy Epstein, who work at JPL, or at least Maureen's husband works at JPL, uh, clarified some of the things that we talked about last week. First of all, is the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in La Cañada? No. Or Pasadena? I didn't finish the question. You need to wait for me you to finish. You said La Cañada, though, and you're wrong. Well, I just like when you're wrong. I think I said I like celebrating it. Okay. Well, geographically, Lee Polson pointed out that geographically, seventy-five percent of JPL is technically within the La Cañada city boundaries, but it has a Pasadena zip code, so it's considered to be in Pasadena because of the zip code. So okay. I'm sure everybody was waiting to hear the answer to that one. But the thing that Marine pointed out that I thought was really interesting. We talked about all of the people who complained that we should spend more money here on Earth before we start spending money in outer space. Mm -hmm. And she listed a number of things that exist or were improved upon specifically because they were developed by the space program. Are you ready? Yeah. Camera phones, scratch-resistant lenses for glasses. Ooh, that is nice. Thank you, NASA. Yeah. Cat scans, LEDs, safe landmine removal, athletic shoes. I'm not sure why athletic shoes, but foil blankets, water purification systems, dust busters, ear thermometers, home insulation. What are dust busters? What are dust busters? Did you just say what are dust busters? Yeah. Those little handheld vacuum cleaners. So vacuums? No, the little handheld ones. I've never ones. heard anything called dust busters. I just thought of Ghostbusters immediately. The first year that your Are mother you and I call were dust busters when you're 
house is really dusty. That's good. Thanks. That's that's, really off the cuff. It is. Well, the first year we were married, I got your mother a dustbuster for Christmas. You are not good at giving presents. No. At all. She liked it. It was a good thing. I think we still have it somewhere. For her birthday last year, you said, buy yourself a washing machine. Oh, come on. Let's not get into that. I think I've told that story before. All right. Let's not get into that. It's so funny. Let's not get into that. (laughs) Uh, I want to finish this list. Home insulation, jaws of life, wireless headsets, memory foam, freeze-dried food, adjustable improved smoke detectors, baby formula, artificial limbs, computer mouse, and portable computers. All because of the space program. Why baby food? Were there no babies before we went to space? Baby formula. There were no babies before we went to space. Well, baby formula now is is freeze-dried, essentially. It's dried baby formula. Oh. So all that dried food that was invented in Why the Why haven't we sent any babies to space? I don't know. I, that would be adorable, a baby in a spacesuit. I want to see that. NASA, make on, it happen. get on that. Get on that. Did you see the International Space Station video with the guy talking to the portable computer they designed for the space station? No. And his name is Simon, only it's spelled with a C. Anyway, Kaiman, but it's pronounced Simon apparently, and he was complaining that they were being mean to him. Stop Aww, being mean to me. That's so sad. Well, it was kind of bizarre and a little bit spooky. It reminded me of Hal from 2001: A Space Odyssey. Oh, that movie's so weird. It's a little creepy. It's a little creepy. When they throw the bone into the air and then it turns into a ship and you're like, whoa, cinema. Yes. Well, that was considered to be very groundbreaking. It it is groundbreaking. It's just boring. Yes. It's exceptionally boring. I've never been able to sit through it since the first time I saw it years and years ago. But that's beside the point. Uh, I think we need to make mention of the fact that we have lost our 41st president, George H.W. Bush. No, we didn't lose him. He died. He passed away. We know where he is. We know He's where... in a coffin. <laughs> oh, that's just lovely. Well, well, actually, did he get cremated or is he in a coffin? Well, he's in a coffin and oh. he's going to lie in state in Texas and they're going to fly him to the Capitol. And that's gross. Donald Trump has volunteered to allow Air Force One to be used to fly the that's body of George so H.W. Bush nice to lie in state. Wow, thank you, Donald. Well, he did, Donald did not come to Barbara Bush's funeral, probably because he wasn't welcome at Barbara Bush's funeral. And there's not a lot of love lost between the Bush family and the Trump family. But President Trump has said he is going to attend President Bush's funeral. So I think that's something that I can make time in my golf schedule to attend a funeral. Is that what he said? Uh, that's exactly what he said. So There's no love loss be- between my family and the Trump family either. Well, it's, it's mostly one-sided, but... I can understand I don't that. think he knows I exist. Well, there is a great deal of love between the Bennett family and the Bush family. And okay. I don't know that. I know we talked off the air about how much you're not a big fan of George H. W. Well, Bush. I don't know. Like it's it's obviously in poor taste when someone dies to be like they sucked. You know, like they obviously people's lives should be celebrated. But it was I saw a lot of things like people just saying like what a patriot will never have another one like him and just like singing him praise and yeah he did do a lot of good things but he did also do a lot of not good things that. Well, I've just pulled up an article that a friend of mine posted that says the media is erasing George H.W. Bush's catastrophic harm to LGBTQ people. Yeah, that's mostly what I was referring to when I was getting upset. Well, and I think it's legitimate certainly to have continued policy differences with people. I don't think that right after someone passes away, it's the time to pile on. I just remember when my father passed away and I was going through all of the comments in the comment sections and 
there were most of them were very gracious and very nice. But I remember seeing one that just jumped out at me, and it was just two words, ding dong. Well, that's a very different situation. As in ding dong, the witch is dead. Yeah, no, I got the reference. You got the reference. That's a very different situation from like a senator who passing away than than the situation here that George H.W. Bush was involved in with the AIDS epidemic. That's very different. Well, different. it is and it isn't. I, I think there's it plenty. Is. I think there's plenty of time to assess George H. W. Bush's. Um, well, I don't know. But if we're going to talk about his death, then we should also talk about like the death of the 100,000 people that died of AIDS during like the majority of the people that died during the AIDS crisis died while he was in office. Well, and it just wasn't viewed as much of a a huge issue as it was because it was affecting. LGBT people who just weren't taken seriously at that time. Oh, I think that's absolutely a fair assessment. I, I don't necessarily think it's appropriate to lay that all at President Bush's feet. I think that America at the time, uh, you weren't around. I was. And people were terrified that AIDS was going to explode not just out of the homosexual community but into the heterosexual I know, community. I don't know, but then you look at people like Princess Diana who was right. like, it's, it's not just the time. There, it absolutely was possible to show compassion. It's not you can't just blame it on the time period. No, absolutely, that's absolutely true. And I'm not trying to necessarily make any kind of apologies for anything that happened. I'm thinking George H. W. Bush was very much a man of his time. And when it, are we going to stop having people of their time? I'm sick and tired of it. You want somebody who is not of their I time or people, ahead of their time? Uh, yeah, like whenever we're like, oh, all the founding fathers had slaves. It was right. their time. Like, ugh. Right. No. I, well, I see. I don't think you can evaluate George Washington without evaluating the fact that he was a slave owner. His dentures were made of slave teeth. At, at the same That's time. That's true. It's not it, a it's, joke. It, no, it's absolutely it's true. Gross. People kept saying that his dentures were made out of wood. No, and, way worse. But, yeah, they were made out of the teeth of his slaves. And so there's no question that those kinds of things taint the legacy of of everybody uh, I, I don't think right after someone dies it's an appropriate time to focus on the negative of their so when, legacy so how long do we have to wait uh 6 weeks that's that's the i just made that up okay but what do you think well i just remember i would argue 5 weeks 5 weeks 5.3 weeks so 5.2 no i i think it's appropriate because you've got to put george h w bush in context and i think any kind of uh, retrospective on him that try to, tries to sort of completely eliminate anything you didn't like about him or anything he did wrong probably isn't appropriate. But the thing that I remember about George H.W. Bush that I will miss and that I think is very important in terms of his legacy is that it was impossible to, to deny his basic human decency as a human being. He also did all that David Copperfield stuff later. Yeah, later on in his life, he got in trouble for doing things. I, I remember reading an article by Peggy Noonan, who was one of his speechwriters, who pointed out that by that point, he was in his late 90s. He was very diminished. I I, I don't think it's appropriate to remember him That's in that context. That's a pretty good joke for someone who's heavily dementiaed, though. I don't think that... Well. Elderly people that are experiencing dementia do inappropriate things. Your mother yeah, will tell you that. But they don't. They don't say David Copperfield. He knew what he was doing then. All right. Well, I want to focus a little bit more on the personal side of George H. W. Bush when we get back from our break.
So the fact that you don't like George H.W. Bush is interesting because he's the only president that you've actually met. No, I shook hands with George W. Bush. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We went out to greet Air Force One that once. Yep. And you actually remember that. Yeah, I was in like third or second grade. Yeah. Uh, we have that on video somewhere, but I've never been able to find it. There's videotape of you shaking hands with George W. Bush. I Finally, I can be vindicated. People will know I'm telling the truth. Well, we told the story when Barbara Bush died about how you tried to assault her. Yeah. That was a good time. You I, wanna, don't, I don't remember that. You don't remember that. You were a baby, and you reached out to get her pearls and tried to yank them off of her neck, and she's terrified of you. And that picture, all of us sitting with the Bush family, standing with the Bush family, she's staring at you like, keep that baby away from me. I've, I've had money on my mind since day one. What can I say? That's right. So the animosity between the Bushes and you goes back to your infancy right there. Yeah. But uh, George H.W. Bush in 1998, came out to Utah, to the Utah State Fairgrounds, and was the keynote speaker at your grandfather's kickoff for his first re-election campaign. And that was actually the first time George H.W. Bush had done anything political since he had lost six years prior. He had gone into what he called, he says, I'm going into the grandchild business. And he'd sort of dropped out of public life. Can I do that? Right now, do you want? Do you have any grandchildren? That no, you can... but that sounds fun. Just to not doing anything and say I'm in the grandchild business. I I suppose that would be good. He said that on election night, and he and he I, meant the, la- the last like four times that I played the game of life, the board game, I've landed on the spot. You're a grandparent, and I never have had any kids. Well, that's that's very important I to th- know. Is that like I know, but is that like saying something? Like, is that predicting something? I think it's predicting that until you have kids, you won't have grandkids. I think that's the prediction. But I, like in the game of life, I don't land on any squares that say you had a boy or had a girl, you know, and you don't get to put little guys in the back of your tiny car. But then later on, I land on the square that says you're a grandparent, and it's like how I didn't land on the kid squares. Well, there you and go. that's happened like four times in a row, so I thought it was worth mentioning. <laughs> Okay. Well, everybody knows that now. I, I don't know how predictive the game of life is of your actual life. I've played the game of life many times. Hopefully not very, because I always also get the house that is split down the middle from the earthquake. Oh, I don't... It's either that or the trailer that's in the hurricane. Oh, so you're... Well, if you stay... I have bad luck with that game. <laughs> All right. Well, this is good to know. So, George H.W. Bush did a tremendous favor for your grandfather coming out, and that's when we met him. That's the only time I've ever met him. Uh, but he could not have been more gracious. He could not have been more polite. Uh, and his relationship with the Bennett family goes back one generation earlier. He served in the United States Senate with your great-grandfather, with my grandfather. And I remember when my grandfather when his, was in his final years, he fell and was hospitalized as the result of the fall. And George W. Bush, I'm sorry, George H.W. Bush, George Bush, can we just call him George Bush? And we're, so we've got George Bush, who's the... Elder and then George W. Bush. Can we distinguish that so I don't have to keep saying H.W.? I guess. You, you can are, say George H. George H. Bush. Okay, George H. Bush. Well, whatever. What does the H stand for? Herbert. George Herbert Walker Bush. That is, that's a name. And George W. is just George have, Walker Why does he Bush. have two little names? His parents just wanted an ex. He, he was so nifty, he needed an extra name. How's that? I've never heard of anyone else having an extra middle name, though. Like, I've never heard of dudes having two middle names. Well, he's from a, from another era, from another generation. But, like, George Washington didn't have two middle names. Like, well, other, what do you people. want me to say? I don't know. I need answers. I, I can't help you with that. 
Anyway, George H.W.V.Q.L. Bush. Did you hear about the lady who named... This is also a huge different topic. But there was this lady who named her kid A-B-C-D-E. Oh, yeah. Abcade? Abcity. Oh, Abcity. I and thought it was Abcade. And then someone uh, at Southwest was making fun of her because their, their name's... At, like, her daughter's name was Abcity. And so then she was, like, getting super mad at Southwest for an employee who was, like, laughing. Well, I don't think naming your kid Absidy is necessarily a good idea. It's but I also absolutely, don't th- like, horrifying. But it's not appropriate for a flight attendant or whatever it was or for a clerk to broadcast that on social media and make fun of customers. I don't think. Do you? Or you don't I don't care? know. Like, could I name my kid the F word and then people got, like, broadcast it? I'm like, stop that. Don't do that. I don't know if legally you're allowed to name your kid the F word. She named her kid ABCDE. Well, it's not offensive. It's just stupid. It's so, it's so bad. I, I feel I had, so bad for the kid. I had an ethics professor at BYU that talked about somebody who had named their kid Jane. And they spelled it J-A-5-N-E. Put the number five in the it's middle It's like of the, name. the movie Seven with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Instead of a V, it's a seven. Yes, but this was actually the name. Can you imagine having to spell that everywhere? J-A-5. I would change that. As soon as I got old enough, I would change it. Absolutely. Parents. I would too. All right. So George H.W. Bush served in the United States Senate with Wallace F. Bennett. And when my grandfather fell and was in the hospital, George, George H.W. Bush was president of the United States at the time. And called the hospital, and Grandpa answered the phone and said, said, "Who is, is this?" Your refrigerator running? No, who says, "Who is this?" I've never heard of you. And hung up on him. He hung up on the president of the United States. So that's kind of fun. That's an experience most people will not ever have. Well, I was in. Grandpa was in the hospital, but I was actually over at their condo every Sunday night. All of the descendants of Wallace and Francis Bennett would gather in their condo for a family gathering. And that Sunday night we were there, and George H.W. Bush called over after Grandpa had hung like, up. Your Grandpa just yelled at me. No, he said he said he's clearly out of it. Will you please, will you please, uh, you know, give him my condolences when he comes to? And I thought that was very gracious of him. And everybody that knew him talked about just how gracious he was on a personal level. And I'm going to give you some examples. Not that you the may- Copperfield people. Not the Copperfield people. Not the people he bombed in the Middle East. Okay, okay, all right. Uh, we're going to talk about his personal graciousness when we get back from the break. So if you go on Twitter, you can find President Clinton has posted a copy of the handwritten letter that George George H. W. Oh, Bush. Been, yeah, that's been floating around for a long time. For a long time, uh, George H. W. Bush loved to write personal handwritten letters to people, and uh, I worked for Senator Alan Simpson of Wyoming, and Al Simpson uh, had a very hard time of it. Uh, during the Clarence Thomas hearings. Al Simpson got beaten up for being an out-of-touch white dude who didn't know what he was talking about. And he got a handwritten note from the President of the United States saying, you looked a little down, and I feel bad about that. And Al Simpson framed that letter, and that became one of the most important heirlooms he received when he was a United States senator. Because the President of the United States... Do you think it had a secret message on the back, like in National Treasure? What, like if you put lemon juice on it? Yeah, like if you put it in the microwave, it has like the map to like El Dorado. 
Yes, I'm sure that's what happened. Someone I'm, needs to check that. That might have been why George H.W. was writing so many notes. Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose Why so. else would he be doing that? There's no other explanation. Well, I, I just look at George H.W. And, and I posted something nice about him on Facebook. And friends of mine who disagree with him said, you know, I never agreed with anything he said, but I never felt that he was trying to use his office to make money. I felt he respected the dignity of his office. And everybody seems to recognize whether or not you agree with him and whether or not you like any of his policies. On a personal level, he was one of the most gracious human beings you could possibly meet. And I think that's important. I think that matters. And in fact, the older I get, the more that matters to me. The more that matters than policy differences. I look, for instance, at the... So you can be nice, but like be a, be a horrible president and it's okay? Uh, I wouldn't say it's okay, but I would say that one of the things about Donald Trump is that even when he does things that I like, and he's done a handful of things that I do like, and he's done an, an awful lot of things that I don't like, but I look at the president of the United States and I'm embarrassed by him. Yeah. I find him to be a disgraceful representative of this country. And I don't think whether or not you agree with George H.W. Bush, you could look at him and make that same statement. That yeah, you can that's fair. I mean, I, everybody who knew – and it's remarkable because George H.W. Bush was the last president of the United States. To have two middle names. To have two middle names. I don't know. Is he the last? Nobody has two middle names because that's William weird. Jefferson Clinton. was. He was followed by William Jefferson Clinton, and then he was followed by George Walker Bush, and then he was followed by Barack Hussein Obama and Donald John Trump. Yeah, three names. Nobody else has two middle names. So I'm really bothered by that. I don't know if you can tell. I can tell. I can tell very much that you are bothered by his two middle names. But George H.W. Bush had spent his entire life grooming himself to manage the Cold War. What? He, yeah, I mean, he was in. He world... came out of the womb and was like rubbing well, his little baby hands together, like no. I'm ready for the Cold War. No, but he he the was... doctor was like that is not normal. He was the head of the CIA. He was he he was just involved in all of. He, he was also a bomber in World War II when he was 19 years old, which is really astonishing. Uh, he's got he's the man with the golden resume. There isn't I mean, anybody. All of our who, World War II vets. There's like barely any left now. They're all they're all passing away. That's your, crazy. Your uncle, Wall, my uncle Wally, is a World War II vet, and he's 95 years old. What did he do in World War II? He uh, he, I don't know. I don't know if he ever saw combat, but he was in he was in the army in World War II. He served in World War II. So, so he, but he never saw combat. I don't know. I I need to go look at that. I need to look up what Wally Bennett did. You're a bad nephew. I am a bad nephew. I feel bad. His his wife just passed away. It was his third wife, but uh, not, so she wasn't my aunt. That's three more than I've ever had. I understand. I understand. Anyway, uh, George H.W. Bush was prepared to sort of oversee the Cold War, and the Cold War ended on his watch. Bummer. He's <laughs> right. like, dang it. What do I do with all this preparation now? But the thing is, the transition from the Cold War to what George H.W. Bush called the New World Order was something that happened very smoothly as a result of the fact that George H.W. Bush was very qualified to do that. Of course, the phrase New World Order got taken over by kooky conspiracy theorists who thought that George H.W. Bush was trying to usher in a one-world government and all this kind of nonsense. But the, the fact that we are essentially living 
in the post-Cold War era that was created and fashioned to a large degree by George H.W. Bush. And I think that's a significant legacy for him to have left. I don't left. know. We're also living in the longest, with the longest war ever that America has fought in, in the Middle East. Right. That right. he definitely had a part in as well. Well, actually... His war, it was... The, well, actually... Well, actually, I'm sounding like Oscar from The Office. Yeah. His war in... I remember I remember the day it launched, January 15th, 1991. I was terrified because I thought it was going to be the beginning of this kind of endless war scenario you were talking about. And it was. It lasted for three weeks. It did. And it was wildly successful. It had the approval of the United Nations. It was the first war that had this massive international coalition. George H.W. Bush was masterful in assembling the entire world, and it had a very clear end game and a clear goal. The goal was Iraq had invaded Kuwait and taken over Kuwait. And George H.W. Bush said, no, we're going to drive Iraq out of Kuwait. Where is, I thought, where, is Kuwait a country? Kuwait is a country, wow, yes. I'm an idiot. It's a very small country in, down, in the, down in the corner of Iraq. And Saddam Hussein essentially annexed Kuwait. We went in there and drove them out. And then there were a lot of people who said, okay, you need to go on into Baghdad and take out Saddam Hussein. In fact, it's really interesting because critics of the Iraq war years later very often talk about how George W. Bush was putting, put us into the quagmire in Iraq. These same critics... He just wanted to like finish what his dad started. Well, these same critics said the reason we have this problem with Saddam is that George H.W. Bush didn't finish what he started. I remember Madeleine Albright saying that. Madeleine Albright was President Clinton's um, Secretary of State, uh, the first female Secretary of State in history. And back when it was looking for reasons to beat up on George W. Bush, or George H.W. Bush, Democrats were hawks who said, oh, we should have gone and finished what we started. But George H.W. Bush said, no, this is a very limited engagement. We are going to go in, we are going to liberate Kuwait, and we are going to get out. And that's exactly what happened. And so everything that's happened since then has happened as a result of George W. Bush going to war. That's a whole other story. Which is a whole other story. But I, I just don't think it's fair to lay all of that at George H.W. Bush's feet. Some of it has to get laid there, though. <sighs> well, a little bit, at least. Well, uh, he he... I remember there was a Time Magazine cover story called The Two George Bushes. And, Catchy title. And the one George Bush was the international George Bush who, who had a clear vision of the world stage in a way that no president had before or since. And the other was the domestic George Bush. And the domestic George Bush was a mess because in terms of the economy at home, the reason George Bush lost – is because economically we were uh, we we entered a recession. It turned out to be a relatively mild recession, but that's not the way it was. It felt at the time, and George H. W. Bush trying to talk tough in 1988 when he was running for office, he got up in the Republican National Convention, and people were saying, "Okay, you're a wimp." They referred to him as the wimp factor. What are we going to do about the fact that he's a wimp? Because here you had Ronald Reagan who was tough, and George H.W. Bush was just this wimpy Ronald nobody. Ronald Reagan was an actor. George H.W. Bush was a bomber. How did they not bring that part up? Well, that's a good question. Reagan only served in the reserves, but Bush was actually, he actually saw action in World War II. But in the Republican convention, he got up there, and they backed him up against the wall, and he said, 
I will never raise taxes and the Democrats are going to come after me and say, I want new taxes and I'm going to say no new taxes. And they're going to say, well, we're going to demand taxes and I'm going to say, read my lips, no new taxes. And that was his big, huge promise. And then when they were trying to deal with the huge exploding deficit, he decided that he was going to compromise and he agreed to a tax raise that was forced on him by the Democrats in Congress. Uh, But the irony of that is that Clinton, when he ran against him in 92, ran that clip over and over and over again. George Bush broke his promise. George Bush raised taxes. When, in fact, the tax increase was very much thrust upon him by the Democrats in Congress. So, I don't know. He he promised... Some men achieve tax increases. Some men have tax increases thrust upon them. Thrust upon them, yes. That's the Shakespearean reference there. So, uh, and then when we entered into the recession, everybody assumed it was all George Bush's fault. And I really get frustrated with this whole idea that economies have anything to do with who the president is. The business cycle doesn't pay attention to the election cycle. I think there are things presidents can do to influence, though, like... Influence, yes. Didn't Obama give, like, a billion dollars to... Like bailouts and stuff? Like, yeah. that has to do something. Yes, it does. What it does is postpone the misery until now when they finally have to deal with the fact that their business needed to be restructured. And if they, had, if GM had done that at the time that Obama bailed them out, then we wouldn't have had the layoffs now. But that's a whole other issue. I, we could do an entire podcast. We probably should on, on economics. Uh, but to, I can really show what I know about that. Yeah, are you excited? Nothing. You're not looking forward to that? I know nothing. But uh, the economy was already very much into recovery by the time... What, what even caused the recession then? Oh, recessions are caused by a business cycle, right? You, you, get, you get inventories. It's not, as, it's not as difficult now because what happens is you build up inventories and then you have to sell off your inventory... And while you're building it up, there's not enough there's not enough activity to be able to justify what you've done, and so you have to lay off workers. You have to do all this kind of thing. It's just the way economics and the business cycle works. It's just the way the cookie crumbles. Well, it's gotten a lot easier because now we do things like just-in-time inventory. Have you ever heard of that? No. No. Okay. Well, anyway, we're kind of we're running out of time here. I'm going to have a few parting thoughts when we get back. Yeah, we're wandering far afield. I think we should do a podcast on economics and on bailouts and that kind of thing. But I want to hear your parting shot against George H.W. Bush. This is probably I don't want to give a shot against a dead guy. You can't fight back. Well, what what are your final thoughts on George H.W. Bush? Um, uh, he is dead. All right. <laughs> Thank you for I don't sharing. Know if, like, like, um, he did a, he did a lot of good things. Like, as far as presidents go. He wasn't, a, he wasn't like the worst. I don't know. A lot of my perceptions of him are like, uh, I, I'm more interested in like this, like the more human side, like the whole AIDS crisis. So I know a lot more about that than I know about like his tax reforms, for example. Right. So that's more of like the 
opinion I have on him is like shaped by that. Well, sure. And it's hard for me to separate the personal from the professional, given how kind George H.W. Bush was to the family. I don't know if he mentioned this when Barbara Bush died, but my grandmother once called Barbara Bush and asked her to speak at an event. And she said, oh, no, I never do that sort of thing. And then she called back and said, they tell me my husband is going places. And so I need to get used to this kind of thing. I just remember when Bill Clinton left office. George Will, the columnist, wrote a column summing up Bill Clinton's presidency, and he said, Bill Clinton is not the worst president we've ever had, but he is the worst man ever to have been president. Really? Yeah. You think he was the worst no, man? No. Well, no. I think Donald Trump probably is the worst man who ever been president. But but at the time, that's, what George, that's George Will's summation. I don't know. I can't measure morally... Uh, who was the best and worst human being? We need like one of those counters like they have in the good place, like right to get points. Right. See who has the least well, amount of points. I would counter that and say George H. W. Bush may not have been our best president, but I think he was one of the best men to be president. I think he was a good, humble, decent, honest man. And I really miss that. I don't think we have that in the White House now. I've reached a point in my life where decency is at least as important as policy in terms of a, a person's fitness to be able to serve as president. And, I, and I'll say that about anybody of any party. I think one of the biggest losses we had when we lost Obama, well, we didn't lose him in the way we've lost George H.W. Bush. We know Bush. where he is. We know where he is. He's still alive. But when he left office, I think he took a great deal of decency and dignity and class I'm with very, him. I'm very interested to see what note Donald Trump leaves for the next uh, president, like, yeah. they always leave like a handwritten note in the Oval Office, and I really want to see yeah. what Donald Trump writes. And want... if, if any of the words make sense, if any of the words are actual words, well, if any of the words are suitable to print, <laughs> oh I think gosh. that might be part of the. It's just going to be drawings, right? Like so, stick figure drawings. But to be fair, Trump has been fairly gracious here after George H. W. Bush's passing. He's going to the funeral, and George H. W. Bush asked that he come to the funeral. So hopefully, the example of our forty-first president will inspire our forty-fifth president going forward. So on that note, if you are listening to this podcast on the radio, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast at iTunes and listen to us at the KSL Podcast Center. Uh, until next week, this is Jim Bennett. I'm Abby Bennett. And rest in peace, George H.W. Bush. Rip in peace. And we will see you next week on Dinner Table Politics.